Hi everyone and welcome back to the Reading Materials Podcast. My name is Lucia and I'm joined today by my two friends, Maria and Jess, and we are continuing our deep dive into A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. Today's episode is episode three of A Court of Mist and Fury. So this episode will give spoilers for the entirety of the first book, which is A Court of Thorns and Roses, and the entirety up to the end of the second book, which is A Court of Mist and Fury. So don't listen if you haven't read that far yet. So the events up to chapter 46, basically, we started off with Tamlin and Feyre and Lucian back in the spring court after Feyre had killed Amarantha, and we saw them dealing slash not dealing with their post-traumatic stress disorder following the events under the mountain. Feyre had to spend a week every month with Rhysand in the night court, and eventually she went there full-time after Tamlin completely lost his temper and locked her in the house. And while she's at the night court, she meets Rhysand's inner circle, so that's more Cassian, Amran, and Asriel. And together, the team is basically getting ready to fight against Highburn because they think the king of Highburn is going to attack Prithian and the human lands. And they've tried to make an alliance with the human queens. There's a bit of a relationship developing between Feyre and Rhysand. And Feyre has been learning to control all of her powers that she got from all the individual high lords from Prithian. And I think that brings us to the end of chapter 46, where they went into the Illyrian Mountains and Lucian suddenly showed up in the forest. Mm -hmm. So, last time we tried to be a bit more controlled about our time and our discussion points, so we're going to stick to the same format again. We've come up with a list of topics that we'd like to talk about that's going to basically take us to the end of the book. So... Jess, do you want to get us started? I think the first talking point is something that you wanted to mention. Yes, okay. So I particularly liked, right from the bat of uh, this episode's content, we we kind of see Lucian appear in the Illyrian Mountains, as you just said. And he kind of explains to Fair that he has to take her back to the Spring Court. Things have been really bad. Tamlin's gone like out of his mind, blah, 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 blah. And then kind of in her warning to Lucien, like, to go, I'm fine, I sent a note. At the end, she winnows out of his grasp when he tries to, like, grab her and sort of forcibly take her away. And then she winnows to beside Rhysand, where she, she then summons um, Illyrian wings. I really liked that moment. What did you guys think? Yeah, I thought it was great. Real badass. It's mm, like exactly same. the thing that she knew would kind of frighten them. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, we hadn't really seen her use her, what would we call them? Her, like, transformation powers. Shape-shifting kind of stuff. Shape-shifting, thank you, yes. Uh, powers before. So she'd already kind of played with, like, her power to control water when she was in the summer court. But... She has, I think, before summoned talons, but that was kind of by mistake. It wasn't anything controlled. So this is the first time that she has made the conscious decision to shapeshift. And yeah, I mean, summoning wings that are specifically Illyrian wings, which is, you know, Illyrians are members of the Night Court. I think it sends a really clear message to Lucian that, okay, I am 100% behind Resand and mm -hmm. his team. And then I suppose they, they kind of escape with Reese, right? And Lucien is, well, we don't know what Lucien has to do at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably deliver some really awkward news to Tamlin once he returns to the Supreme Court. So the next big thing is Farah and Reese are kind of working together to train her how to use all of her powers in combination together. And they're flying around. No, wait, there's a there's another thing. We have to mention the night that they spend at the inn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In not too graphic detail, I hope. <laughs> okay, fine. 
And the fact that there is just one bed. <laughs> a classic, really. A classic event. Classic blunder. Mm. Yes. Maria, what did you think of that development? Yeah, I mean, first read, you're kind of just waiting for it to happen anyways, because like it's been hinted at so constantly. On rereads, I was just kind of like, come on, like there was only one room and the only one room and only one bed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. But um, yeah, no, it was like, it was, I think, pivotal as well, like to to like process or prog- progressing their relationship. And how did you feel about Feyre's statement that she only wants to basically keep it light and just have fun with Reese, whilst Reese is basically telling her, I love you? <laughs> yeah, that one's a bit funny because um, she also like, I think she hints that like she thought it was like a joke that she thought she was being funny. That like, you know, like the, oh, like he actually believed me. And it's kind of like, well, you kind of should be saying what you mean. So if you're saying then this is not serious, then, you know, like you should mean that. But yeah, I yeah, it's a little bit colder, but also I suppose fair enough. Like she's just gotten out of a serious relationship recently. So I guess <laughs> she wants to like, you know, take her time. Hmm. I agree. Although I have to, like she did kind of deliver it in a bit of a dick way. <laughs> <laughs> the intentions maybe were not to be that way but that's how it definitely came across I was like wow really harsh mm. you know poor Reese mm. because he obviously doesn't get it that it is like he obviously thinks she's being dead serious yes yeah yeah I mean why wouldn't he think it's a bit that? of a slap yeah, in the face yeah, yeah. especially when we know you know how Amarantha treated him under the mountain and how he already felt used and abused and now Feyre is basically saying well yeah I just kind of want to use you for some light entertainment as well it it doesn't land well to put it lightly Mm. yeah that's fair so after that they're kind of flying around and they are attacked we don't really know who's attacked them but Reese gets shot with a number of ash arrows and Jess do you want to tell us what happens next so as he's being attacked, he, th- so they're currently flying, they're attacked, and he throws Fair out of his grasp so that wherever he lands and the attackers will find him, she won't be there. So he throws her out of the air and then she creates like a wall of hard air for herself so she doesn't fall straight on the ground. And then she begins to track race through the forest. Yeah. And she does this by, I suppose, relying on her on the fact that she's high fey, not so much any of her new powers, and just tracking him by scent. <laughs> and the fact that because of the shenanigans that they got up to at the inn, she can scent herself on top of Risa's scent as well. And she finds did him... Did you guys find that weird? Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I find that kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I can't smell anything from myself like I think that's like a thing isn't it but um, I mean I, not to get icky but I don't think she's scenting you know her skin I oh okay okay I know I know <laughs> all right Lucia <laughs> but yes there's a lot of smelling of things that happens mm. later on as well but mm. I suppose this is the first time we're kind of seeing a more animalistic side of the high fae would we call it that the fact mm-hmm. that you can smell yeah, emotions guess. or generally other people. In any case, she manages yeah. to find Reese, and he is being kept in a cave and he's been tied with some magic suppressing chains and they've left the arrows in his wings and he's generally unwell. There's poison on the arrows as well. She manages to kill the guards and winnow him out to another cave but he doesn't seem to be getting any better even after she removes the wings so in an act of desperation removes the arrows sorry yes the arrows obviously yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) removes the arrows from the wings yes sorry so in an act of desperation she reaches out to the only creature who can apparently help her in her time of need and who is that maria um, yeah, so she reaches out to the cereal again mm-hmm. to find out what she, what like 
antidote she can seek to help because I think she figures out that there's poison involved in, in some of the, the things that are keeping Rhys unwell. And of course, she has to like capture him all over again. So she found out after her first um, attempt that she can use like a cloak, which lucky her, she happens to have. And she captures the cereal and she's chatting away to him and, you know, figuring out, oh, this is what you can do to, to help Ryzand, you know, or this is what you can do to help your mate. And then obviously the cereal like kind of... Uh, unload the bombshell of um yeah that she's been like palling around with like her mate the whole time which is like very shocking to Farah but I think she's the only person that finds it (laughs) shocking um (laughs) ever so then obviously she also finds the the like antidote and goes back and helps them and whatever else but she's and now very angry because she wasn't told and she knows that he knew Mm mm-hmm so, based on your tone, I'm guessing you saw it coming that they are mates. Yeah, I think I figured it out the first time I read it. Um, at the end of the first book, when he like did his weird stumble, gasp, shock, disappear, uh, combo. So I kind of saw it coming from then, but I guess like wow, you guessed it early. Yeah, I did. But I mean, I know that like I have a friend who read it, um, who was shocked when she read it in the book so yeah I guess if you haven't read like enough of these books and storylines aren't too repetitive then it it might not be as obvious Mm -hmm. Jess did you figure it out before I think maybe I did but it wasn't I wasn't 100% it was kind of like is this what's happening rather than like okay this is obviously what's happening what about you Um, I don't think I figured it out to that extent, I mean, I could obviously tell that we're leading up to a romantic relationship between them. I didn't really think that we would, you know, go down the road of soulmates slash mates because it had only really been kind of mentioned in passing up to this point. And it's been said that it's so rare and... But it keeps being brought up. That's kind mm-hmm. of what made me suspicious. Okay, maybe I just was blissfully unaware. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or I just, you know, hadn't been reading much at that point. So for me, this was quite a new concept. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of mates, I hadn't really come across it before in any of the books that I had read up to that point. So maybe that's why now I would be more inclined to see it coming. Mm -hmm. But back then, no. (laughs) I think if you read enough books of this genre, you learn to pick out Easter eggs. Yeah. When they, like, pop up. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, if you read any more of Sarah J. Mass's books, she's obsessed <laughs> with mates. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Then, as you said, Maria, she's a bit upset. Well, she's very upset by the fact that mm-hmm. Reese knew all along, or suspected in any case, and he didn't tell her, and so she had to find out from the serial. But, actually, before I get to that... How do we feel about the fact that she has to recapture the serial? Like, did the serial see that it's a trap and he just played along with it? Or was he really hoodwinked once again by Feyre? Is she really that great? Oh, I don't think he was hoodwinked. No, I think he mentions that twice now I have spoken with you or kind of hinted that mm-hmm. not twice now you have captured me unwittingly. Yeah. Yeah, the serial is kind of like, come on, like, let me go. I've done you a favor. Not a, oh, damn, you caught me. Please release me. (laughs) So this then (laughs) means that it is the same serial that she spoke to in book one, which also begs the question, how did he get from the spring court to the night court? Why was he, you know, in the same forest exactly at the time that she needed him? It all seems a little bit convenient. It does. I think we find out more about the serial later okay don't we in the third book we get like a little bit more i have no but does it not say that he's like one and many i had the impression that he was like a hive mind yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. he it it was a hive mind type creature that there were many but they kind of because they all oh, know okay. everything yeah they share the knowledge that's what i thought as well but yeah we get like i don't know because sometimes it seems like she's referring to him as just one mm-hmm 
it's possible that they are a hive mind, but she still ran into the same one because they're also rare. Okay. I hadn't clocked onto the hive mind thing. That would make a lot more sense. Thank you. Very good. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> Feyre is very upset. She winnows Reese back to the Illyrian camp and then Moore takes her to some random cabin that they have where she mm. <laughs> proceeds to paint every walls. <laughs> every surface. I read that and I actually I rolled this she time. literally like... Everyone's just, eyes over the door. Yeah, where she I, like, just graffitis his home. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the first time you read it, I think it's a bit more easier. It's a bit more easy to, like, just follow the storyline or whatever. But reading this, like, I think for the fourth time, I'm like, Jesus, she's painting every surface. (laughs) (laughs) She has disembodied eyes in groups along the wall. (laughs) Yeah, that's just creepy. I'd be so annoyed if I walked in and someone had painted every surface of my house. Whatever, like, okay, every wall, but every surface. Especially since it's stated quite clearly that there are canvases for her to paint on. Like, she doesn't need to be painting on the walls. (laughs) She goes with the tables as well. (laughs) She's angry and she's just defacing all of his property (laughs) to get back at him. Do you know what? I never thought of it like that. Do you actually think it's like that? No, No, I don't. I don't think so. No, I think she just... It's an interesting She just. I don't think she considers it. She just seems to go for, oh, this will be nice. She's yeah. lost yeah, in yeah, the Yeah, everyone will like this. She's lost in the sauce. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. after a few days, Reese shows up. And we have the two iconic chapters of A Court of Mist and Fury. <laughs> Chapter 54, which is where we basically get Reese's whole backstory and how he realized that they were mates all along. So how do you like his story and his reasoning for all of his actions up to this point. I really liked it. I I think initially I was reading and I was like, why have we started off back at the war? But then it kind of lets you understand how long this whole thing has been going for. I really liked his explanation of when he kind of is talking about how he first began to have visions of this woman when he was under the mountain and then, you know, it turned out to be fair. And obviously then he, he sent her the image of the stars, which she then painted on the thing. And does it, is this when he discovered she was born on the longest night of the year as well? No, I think that happened already. Okay. Ah, yes, that happens in the cave. That's kind of another what kind of word am I looking for? Like, oh, they're so special, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I overall, I really enjoyed the explanation, kind of the extra lore. And just, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. How about you guys? Yeah, I didn't expect the whole backstory to be as emotional from him. You know, mm. like, the character is, like, quite emotional while he's telling his whole life story, essentially. But um, There's a lot of trauma, though. Yep, yep, a lot of that. But it does clarify a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And it maybe explains... Uh, why his reasoning because obviously he's withheld information from Farah and stuff but I, I think it kind of argues his point a bit I mean I really like it I think you know it's an iconic chapter for a reason so much trauma so much that he's had to deal with in the what 500 years that he's been alive I was also surprised that we go all the way back to the war but upon multiple rereads you you, I think I appreciate it more and more, the fact that it's been building for so long. Yeah, I mean, generally, I think it's really good chapter. I really like his backstory. It gives an explanation of why he's morally gray and all of that. I didn't quite <laughs> like the whole soup element. Oh my god, the soup was weird. <laughs> it was so dumb. It's so stupid. <clears throat> And kind of, like, backwards. But it's funny because it's, like, canned soup. Yes, I mean, it's it's funny in that way. Yeah, but, like, yeah. the tradition of the female has to cook the male a meal as a way of showing that she accepts the mating bond is, like, what? Mm-hmm. It's pretty strange. So weird. Yeah, it's, like, this really intense magic, but it's governed by, like, the absence or presence of a bowl of soup. Yeah. <laughs> Or just food in general, like. Yeah, 
In this case, soup, yeah. So speaking of the mating bond, I kind of want to go not into too much detail because I'm sure we'll talk about it in, in later books as well, but how do you kind of understand how the mating bond works? Because we get Reese's story and we've already said he seems to have been aware peripherally of the existence of some woman, i.e. Feyre, who is going to become his mate years before they even met. Then they meet and they get to know each other, but the mating bond doesn't actually fall into place until that last night under the mountain. So they go months of, you know, spending time together, but the mating bond doesn't snap into place for him. And for sure, it doesn't fall into place for Feyre. So it's not an instantaneous thing. But Reese's parents, when they first meet, it snaps into place immediately. And the same thing happens with Lucian and Elaine at the end of the book. They don't know each other at all, and it falls straight into place. I think the the actual explanation for the Elaine and Lucian thing as well is that like, and it's the same for the Farah thing, is that Reese seems to cop it as soon as he sees her as a fae. Mm-hmm. And the same for Lucian. It's once Elaine has been turned into a fae, not beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like there's the potential for it to be there, but it doesn't actually happen until it can be too fae because it doesn't seem like it's not a thing that humans can can have by the sounds of it. So I think that's the reasoning for why it was instantaneous for Rhys's parents who were both fae, but not for himself and Farah, even though they were spending, like you said, all that time together. I think that was the explanation mm-hmm. for the delay. Okay. Jess, do you also see it that way? I agree with Maria's explanation. What I don't understand is what does this mean in a physical sense? And that one phrase, snapping into place, drives me nuts because what does that even mean? <laughs> what is she talking about? It Honestly, that whole thing just... I cannot even explain the confusion it fills me with internally. Every time I read that, I'm like, what is this supposed to mean? Mm. Yeah, I kind of like try to... You know, like, you know, when you remember something you forgot and you have that moment where you might actually be like, oh, that's that's the only thing I could try and equalize it to. All I could think about is like, and this is ridiculous, but like two golden pieces of a ladder coming together to form a bridge because they kept talking about it as like this link between the two people and I was not understanding it whatsoever. Mm. Well, yours is so much more poetic. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but they're not walking around with like the golden gate bridge between them <laughs> in a magical way. Like, what does it mean? Yeah, because at the, well, it's it's really hard because Reese and Feyre are also unique in the sense of you know Reese can speak to people uh, through his mind. So I would have thought that maybe another explanation would be that you have like a mental connection with your with your mate, but we don't know if that's the case because we don't really know how his parents exhibited the, the mating bond. Because even after the bargain bond between Feyre and Reese has been shattered by the King of Highburn, they can still feel each other and they can still communicate with each other. But I'm guessing that's because of Reese's powers, unless that's also a manifestation of the mating bond. I think the way it's worded, it seems like it's possibly a bit of both, but that maybe the like natural abilities that they both have individually enhance their ability to communicate. Mm-hmm. But it's not very clear. I don't know. The whole concept is just beyond me in terms of what's <laughs> going on there. Like, don't even ask. Okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> So speaking of Lucian and Elaine, how do we feel about the fact that Elaine is seemingly Lucian's mate? I didn't like it. Yeah, that was dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, not dumb. That was, well, yeah, no, that was, it was like obvious. That was like, oh, there are three sisters. There are like a few <laughs> single guys who might be redeemable options. Oh, look, they're all matched up. I mean... I had my own suspicions for other people outside of Lucien and Elaine first read, but speaking about them specifically, I was like, oh, of course. 
it is nice little um twist though because obviously the two of them have very opposite uh loyalties at that point well elaine doesn't really have loyalties well she kind of does her garden yeah <laughs> oh, well and her fey hating betrothed <laughs> yeah but it did seem just like a like everyone has to be nicely patched up with somebody else already existing in the story mm-hmm. but don't question it that's fate mm. i i don't really like it i think it happens too fast and it just comes out of nowhere it feels like she just threw it in you know as another cliffhanger kind of thing obviously we're going to talk about lucian and elaine going forwards because spoiler alert they're going to be around for at least another book but yeah yeah I don't know how I feel about it I don't think I like it because it just doesn't seem to serve any purpose if it was going to be introduced I wish it had been introduced a bit later and yeah I feel like because we don't really know what the mating bond means 100% it's like well I don't know what's going to happen now. But the way that I would have understood a mating bond is because it's so unique and because it's fate, as you've already said, it feels like there shouldn't be any way that anyone can question if two people are meant to be together. So Tamlin's reaction to the fact that Reese and Feyre are mates is him saying, I don't give a shit that you are mates. <laughs> I don't give a shit that you feel you're entitled to her. I'm taking Feyre now. Excuse me, what? <laughs> I wish everyone could have seen your expression there. <laughs> the rage that I feel towards Tamlin in this book is mm. unparalleled. It's big. Mm. How do you... Yeah, no. What do you think of, of his reaction to finding out that they're mates it's just classic tamlin isn't it like it's it's literally like i'm seeing all the facts but i don't care this is my opinion um that's exactly it it's not even like recognizing that if Farah is not his mate then maybe somebody else will be as well second door mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's just the same just dogged ignorance that's driven him to that point so I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't surprised that he didn't care. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just frustrated by him, especially... Oh, endlessly. <laughs> yeah, that specific line, again, like the amount of hypocrisy in that sentence is, <laughs> I don't give a shit that you feel entitled to her. Yeah, and how do you feel, Tamlin? Like, this is entitlement 101. <laughs> yeah, the next words I think are like, she's mine. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. taking her back now. Again, classic Tamlin. Yeah. I've skipped ahead in terms of story. I'm sorry, but it's all, you know, the mating bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. In terms of plot, right after Reese and Feyre accept the mating bond between them, you know, they, they, they have chapter 55. And for those who have read it, you know what I mean. But then they go back to Valaris and... The inner circle pledge allegiance to her. Everyone is very happy that, you know, she is going to be presumably Reeson's wife at some point. And they then get word from the human queens that they are ready to meet. So they go back to Elaine and Nesta's house and they have a meeting with the queens, but only two queens show up. And... Jess, do you want to remind us what's the point of this final meeting with the queens? This meeting is to prove to the queens that they can trust Ryzan's intentions, that he really wants peace. So to prove his good nature, he um, has arranged to show them kind of... uh, He wants to show them Valaris through essentially a magical projector screen where it like projects his memories of the city and they're all like... You can feel the love and everything. So the queens watch that and they're like, yeah, okay, so what? They are pretty, like, they're they're fighting an uphill battle against the queens at this point. So they're kind of like, gosh, let's give up. 
more, you know, everyone's everyone's really pitching their best. Anyway, the Queens leave, everyone's like, wow, they were they were really mean. <laughs> we didn't convince them. But then it is discovered that the Golden Queen has secretly left them the half of the book that they were trying to negotiate for. Mm-hmm. With a note not to trust the other queens and that the sixth queen was not ill, so we know something is afoot and that she has betrayed her sisters to give them the book. Yeah. Did you see it coming? Did you think that the queens would not accept their version of Valeris as proof of Rhysand's goodness? I initially thought that they would have like instantly seen it and been like, yeah, wow, that's so great, which I admit is extremely naive. Then whenever they appear to be not convinced and they were like, no, you're not getting the book, we have to talk about it more. I was like, damn. But then when the the Golden Queen drops down to pick up or pick up her napkin or whatever, that was the one I was like, okay, that was sauce. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe she's going to do it. I thought it was a fairly weak plan to convince them. It kind of was. Um, the whole time. Because it's like, oh, look, a nice city exists. Therefore, we're all good people. Mm. But I didn't, I was actually surprised when the other queen had left the the book behind. I just didn't get the napkin thing. Yeah, the first time I read it, I didn't see it either. But obviously, upon rereads, it's very clear <laughs> that something is mm-hmm. going on. He would also with the napkin. Is it a napkin? It's definitely a napkin, right? That she she it's drops and then picks up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How is that she going to conceal a book under a napkin? So either she arrives with it already hidden under her skirts, and then like drops it to the ground, or uses the napkin as a way to like lower it down to the ground, or she has it in her coat or something and conceals it underneath the napkin to then put it on the floor. It seems a bit impractical logistically. Yes, I agree. I never really looked at it too closely to actually think, well, where has she kept this book? This is true. I only came up with this just now. I wasn't ruminating on this for days. <laughs> and I also, I think up until this point, for some reason, I thought when they were talking about half of the book, I thought that they had like sawn the book in half so that they have like the top half and the queens have like the <laughs> oh. bottom half. <laughs> I assumed it was left and right. That is what it is, yes, but (laughs) I didn't read it like that. So maybe I also thought, well, if it's just like the bottom half of a book, you know, that can be quite small because books are (laughs) published in different sizes. So, (laughs) (laughs) But it seems like at this point, Reese isn't really that surprised that... She left the book behind, so I'm kind of suspicious of whether or not he was maybe mentally communicating with her and she told him that, okay, this is what I'm doing now. I'm dropping my napkin, but I'm actually leaving the book behind. Because as after she does that, I think it's mentioned that Reese doesn't really speak anymore during the meeting. Everybody else is getting into an uproar, but he's kind of taken a step back as if he already knows that it's okay, guys, we got this. Agreed? Disagree? Yeah. I think um, whatever it is, a lot of the people in these books seem to be really good at nonverbal cues. You know, like they, they seem to be really good at like, this look means it's hidden in the second drawer and they're like, whatever, whatever. So <laughs> they're able to like communicate a lot. So though I think he, he had an inkling. Mm-hmm. Okay. I literally did not even conceive that he might have been mentally in communication with her. <laughs> cool. How do you like the book and the fact that it kind of speaks to Feyre? Do we find it creepy or do we just find it cringy? I find it I think creepy. it's supposed to be creepy. Oh, no, we both said creepy at the same time. That was cool. <laughs> you go first. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, th- I think it's creepy. It sounds kind of like sinister um, and self-serving as well. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Okay. I think I, really I found it, it creepy the first time, but every time I read it now... I find it a little bit cringy because are you imagining it to be like the sorting hat because that's kind of cringy but I imagine it in like a spooky way where it's you know evil and cool and weird (laughs) I don't know I just find it a bit unnecessary like I wish that the way that she had described its evilness or its power 
would be not by the fact that it says creepy things, but I don't know, like that it that they can feel the pulse of power or, you know, something. I mean, Sarah J. Mass is very colorful with her language. She goes a bit over the top anyways. So I think I would have preferred it if it had been described a bit differently rather than just Feyre hearing a disembodied voice that nobody else can hear. I don't know. Just didn't really yeah. work for me. So almost immediately after they go back to Prithian, after the queens have said that they're not going to help them, we get the attack on Valeris. Tell me your thoughts about the attack. I kind of thought they'd earned it by being stupid enough to try and use it as currency. I didn't expect it to like happen so quickly. I knew there was another book coming when I was reading it. So I was like, okay, that will 100% come back to bite them in the ass, but that'll be a, a, like a future problem. I didn't think it would be an immediate future problem. And also... I mean, it was kind of a, like, I mean, we know the power that the other enemies are supposed to have. So it was kind of a weak attack, all things considered. I mean, they could have wiped it out and they didn't. So I didn't really get the point of it. Mm-hmm. There were some things I liked and some parts I didn't like. I liked the overall, like, scene as a plot device. You know, I liked that it was kind of a test of the cauldron to take down something big so and it was like a bit of a statement i like that we saw cassian like that he's okay we know he's a good fighter and he's like the leader of the armies but that he could actually hold his own for quite some time was nice to see i thought fair's entire episode at the artist quarter was just cringe (laughs) why (sighs) obviously she had to go and defend the poor artists when she couldn't (laughs) yet confront the artist within herself the water wolves were cringe. Okay. I just thought it was a bit much. Okay. But I liked the rest of the scene and I liked the rest of the plot around that particular um, part of the book. I just thought Fair's part was... Fair's part in the artist quarter is cringe mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, I actually agree with that. But the, the, like making animals out of the, the water... Why didn't and, you just and, make a way? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. It's water, even if it looks like a wolf. And why wolves? It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, interesting. I agree that the fact that it is the artist's quarter is a bit on the nose. I didn't mind so much the formation of the wolves from the water. I felt like it was in keeping with her character and the fact that Water seems to be the power that she's most in tune with up to this point. It's the one that she's worked with the most. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I could understand why it was water. Now, whether or not... I was totally fine with that. It's just the wolves? It's just the wolves. Okay. I suppose this is more, I don't know, epic. Maybe it harks back to her being a hunter I don't know. Mm. You know, I'm I'm willing to, to overlook the wolves. But <laughs> okay, I mean, how she used them was cool, but it was just the wolves was like, what? <laughs> but I kind of agree with Maria about it seems like it was predictable that it was going to happen at some point. But I kind of don't get the point of it even happening immediately, because if I'm looking at it from the point of view of the King of Highburn. Yes, they already suspect that he's going to attack Prithian. But by attacking Valeris two days after they met with the queens, he's obviously putting all of his cards on the table and making it clear that he is in cahoots with the queens. Why would he do that? Do you not think that's also to draw them to Highburn? Because it's clearly a setup from the moment they arrive. Like They do not arrive undetected as they think they do. So what, you you think that if he hadn't attacked, they wouldn't have gone? Or he thinks that if he hadn't attacked, they wouldn't have gone? No, but I think it, I think it brought the timeline okay. forward. So he just wanted them to... I think he okay, gave them so urgency. Okay, so he wanted them to arrive on his terms rather than them having more time to come up with a more secret plan. That, that okay. was what I thought, yeah. Okay, that I can, that I can understand. But... I also agree with what Maria was saying, that it it seemed a bit lackluster in terms of 
attack scale because it's what a like a few hundred ators or something which when Mm -hmm. i say the number it's obviously it's a lot and they managed to destroy quite a big chunk of the city but i was also a bit disappointed with cassian asriel and amran like five of the most powerful beings ever are in valeris and they can't fight against a couple of ators like it drains Mm. them that quickly they i I don't know yeah like they they fought in wars they fight you know they fought against legions but (laughs) they're a bit rusty okay sure (laughs) i suppose they haven't fought a war in 500 years yes (laughs) yeah but still like they they like training pretty constantly like yeah Mm. i was a bit like I don't know what your outlook is from now on, guys, but this is not promising. So then we get the escalation, as you've said, and they decide that they need to go straight to Highburn to use the... Oh, oh yeah, also, conveniently, it takes Amron only two more days to decode the book, <laughs> even though up until now it's she hadn't made any progress, but now it's happened. And so they go to Highburn... Amran tells Feyre whatever you do don't put the two books together because bad things will happen so just say this spell and that will nullify the powers of the cauldron they get to Highburn and the first thing that she does is put the two halves of the book together it's classic Feyre really it's classic Feyre but yeah, Maria, do you want to tell us a bit more about what happens in Highburn? Yeah, they're um, they're trying to like sneak in and nullify the cauldron, and obviously, Farah manages to take one simple, straightforward order, do the exact opposite. It's like the meme of "you had one job," and then um, obviously they they get detected, and also it was expected, it was anticipated that they would be there, so they were waiting for them. And they're brought, obviously, in front of the king. Um, They sustain some physical damage along the way. So a lot of them are badly injured. And then we find out that the entire time, obviously, the queens were working with Highburn. But also, Tamlin and Lucien are there. And they were working with Highburn as well. Um, In order to get Farrah back, they had made all sorts of promises that they were going to let Highburn go through the spring court um, and that they would just kind of be like the the receiving shore for the Highburn forces, which is kind of like you didn't think that they could get any worse. And then they did. And then it gets worse for Farrah personally because her sisters have also been revealed to the king and he's going to use them as a tester of the cauldron's powers in front of her, um, which obviously is devastating for her as well. So kind of goes like there's the worst case scenario they 10 miles below that and then there's what actually happens Jess how did you feel when we got the revelation that Tamlin is there personally I was shocked yeah I did yeah. not see that coming yeah instantly I was like oh I could you have hated Tamlin anymore at this moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I was surprised Lucien was involved as well. I mean, obviously, that one of them is not without the other, but that Lucien, who obviously is a bit corrupt, but still seemed to be reasonable, would... I mean, obviously, also, he he's tried to, like, basically kidnap Farrah, like, a few chapters before this, so I guess his esteem is dropping, but, like, this is a new low. Hmm. Totally. Yeah, I mean, if up until this point you had even an ounce of sympathy or forgiveness towards Tamlin I think that's just blown out of the water when he is with the King of Highburn and has sold out his whole court just so that he can get Feyre back like he's such a disappointment in that moment like again yeah. He was disappointing under the mountain and now again he was just like, could you could he have sank any lower? 
Hmm. Yeah, but this is worse, I think, because under the mountain, he just did nothing. Hmm. Now he's actually... He's like, actively being stupid. Yeah, he's, like, basically guaranteed the deaths of tons of innocent people. Hmm. Yeah, because... Okay, so when I first read it, I was shocked. I, I didn't see it coming either. I thought... Well, I don't know what I thought. I thought we might never see him again, or, you know, he might show up in the next book. I don't know. But mm -hmm. I didn't think that we would find him working with Highburn. And I genuinely wonder, how is he justifying this to himself in any way? Like, it's not possible that he doesn't understand what this means for Prithian and the human lands. Like, does he actually yeah. believe that the king wants peace? How does the king want peace if he wants to invade another person's or like other people's land? So, yeah, I just don't understand what he's thinking. Like I can, yes, as much as he loves Feyre, this is inexcusable. Or how does he think that she would ever forgive him for his actions or that she would, what, find this complimentary in any way? That, oh, he's finally showed how much he cares for me because he's, <laughs> what? <laughs> Like, what was his end yeah. goal? I don't understand what he was thinking. Yeah, and, like, obviously she was human, so she's going to have a vested interest in... And, like, he's basically guaranteed that humans will suffer. Mm. Like, it, it's like he doesn't know her at all. Mm. Yeah, Dis disappointing. Yeah, he's just obviously not mentally right. No, he's not. So, the sisters... Elaine and Nesta are brought forward. This seems to be not something that was agreed upon between Tamlin and the High and the King of Highburn. This mm. is Ianthe's doing. So for those who don't know or don't remember, Ianthe was the high priestess that was lurking around the spring court at the beginning of the book, kind of whispering into Tamlin's ear and supposedly being moral support for Feyre, but not really. And she told the King of Highburn that Feyre has two sisters and where they live. And he is going to use them to show the human queens, who, by the way, want to be made into High Fey, which is why they're there, that the cauldron can be safely used to turn people of strong will into High Fey, that mm -hmm. they would basically be able to survive it. How did you like that element? Um, at first, I was kind of like, why her sisters? But I guess it made sense if he had someone that she cared about to help control her. Mm -hmm. But they did seem like kind of a random. And to be honest, I was like reading this through the lens of the high fae fare better whenever something gets tough. So he's kind of doing them a solid. Um, even though, obviously, they resent it. I was kind of like, guys, think about this for a while. You're going to be happy. But um, yeah, it, it did seem kind of random hmm. that it was her sisters. I actually really like this chapter. So obviously things are going pretty badly from Fair's perspective. You know, it's not a great chapter for her. But in terms of, I don't know, I just really enjoyed it. There was a lot of tension. The strong-willed thing was weird because everything we've learned so far about Elaine is that she doesn't <laughs> really have very much courage or she, you know she just likes flowers and soft things so I was like okay it's probably not looking good for Elaine but then obviously she survives but Nesta obviously as we know is very strong-willed and I love her um her like death finger to the king <laughs> and the fact that she really struck like they really have to put her in Elaine they seem to just like drop her in but Nesta really fights and the fact that it's particularly mentioned that she emerges different I thought was so interesting mm-hmm Mm. the tension in this chapter is 100%. I love it. Like, I, I love all of the events that are happening. I think, in general, Sarah J. Maas is maybe perhaps stronger in the, like, later parts of her books. I feel like a lot of her books can kind of meander and kind of drag at the beginning, but she always manages to you know, ramp up the tension near the end. And mm -hmm. she's definitely done that in this book as well. In the last 20%, as soon as we get to Highburn, I mean, all of it happens in less than 50 pages. It's just one thing after another is going wrong. So the way that it's written, I think is really powerful. But 
I do kind of agree with Maria and the whole so what if they become Haifei? Why is this seen as being the worst thing that could possibly happen to her sisters? You know? Yeah. I mean, obviously for Elaine, I guess, with the future husband and the life, but like for Nesta, like she's kind of already admitted that like she doesn't really have a place in the moral world and there's a war coming and they're going to be stronger and mm-hmm. faster. So mm-hmm. I just, yeah, like stop complaining, lads. But imagine if you got turned into a vampire against your will, you'd be like, this was the worst thing ever. Yes. I did okay. not want to become a vampire. Yes, the thing that... That's true. Yeah, the thing that I completely understand why this is horrific is because it's against their will. That, obviously, I don't agree with. That makes it horrific. But the end result and the fact that everybody else, like, even people who don't know Nesta and Elaine, like, Lucian is fighting tooth and nail to stop this from happening. Why? But they might die. But after... They might not come out of the cauldron. I think as well because he recognizes it's wrong. Like, I mean, I think there are some people who know that that this is wrong. Oh, definitely. Just but morally. Yeah, mm. I think that, like, after it happens, yeah, fine. It's like, okay, well, you know, sucks for them that they went in there against their will, but they're alive now and that's fine. Mm. I think it's the before part where all the tension centers around. Mm. Also, I guess they're, like, their blatant hatred of the yeah. Fae. Even when their sister is one, you know, that they, they didn't, like... They didn't change their opinion when their sister came back to them and they met Good Fae. So I guess it's kind of that like they they know what the Fae are and still hate them. So it's probably worse than if you'd taken random humans who didn't know the real story mm. and kind of hated and feared what they didn't know. Yes, the fact that it's her sisters makes it all the more powerful. But he could have just as easily picked two random people off the street and yeah. used them to demonstrate to the queens that it can be done. I mean, yeah. Re- Go on. Well, if they had died as well, he would have made a like significant fault in. The- he needed someone made to like read the book, so he was kind of hoping to use them to control her. And obviously, if if his plan didn't work, like he probably would have lost like all of all of his like cards for controlling Farah. So it was kind of dumb. Mm. Yeah, I think it was a good card to kind of use as leverage over her because. Assuming they survived and came out of the cauldron alive, they would have, I assume, either lived with the King of Highborn or Tamlin and would have been used as, like, a stick to keep Fair in line to make her work with the King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, why it's important that Moore takes them. Mm. Yes. So you say that Moore takes them, but Jess, do you want to tell us what happens before Moore takes Elaine and Nesta away? Okay, so... I personally find this a bit confusing on the first read, but basically the King of Highburn has uh, performed a spell to nullify everyone's magic while they're in the castle. So everyone is like internally trying to get past this so they can winnow out and get home and get out of this awful situation. Because Fair has inherited magic from the Deacord, I think. Mm-hmm. Helian Spellcleaver. She kind of has the ability to work through this enchantment and break it herself. So she does this on the DL, she keeps it quiet. And meanwhile, I think to distract and also to kind of begin the events that will get them out of the situation, she starts screaming and acting hysterical and she pretends that she has herself, I think, broken out of Ryzan's mind control and is now returning to herself and she recognizes Tamlin and, and she doesn't want to be with the people from the Night Court anymore and she's like, wow, was, uh, what has happened? How could this have happened? Blah, blah, blah. And then I think she, I think, presents this as her having broken the bargain bond, maybe? Then Tamlin asks... I think it's asks, broken the mind control. Yes, mm. but does she say that that was the mating bond. No, she says that that was the bargain bond. So then when the king breaks the other the mating bond, he thinks, no, yeah. I don't think he knows about the mating bond. I think he just knows the... Oh, he doesn't know about the mating bond. He maybe doesn't know about the bargain bond because he seems to think he's broken the mating bond yes, when he breaks the bargain bond. Yes, but she pretends that she herself has broken the bargain, no? 
I think she pretends. No, I think she just pretends. Oh, she just pretends she gets rid of his control. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's basically pretending that he's been controlling her the whole time and everything that's happened up until this point was against her will. Yes. But that the bonds are still in place as if the mating bond had somehow been forced upon her, even though I don't know how that would happen. Mm -hmm. He mind controlled the soup. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. So there's a lot of screaming. Mm -hmm. Everyone's, there's a lot of flailing of limbs, hysteria, drama. Mm -hmm. I think the rest of the Night Court gang begin to catch on to what's happening. Um, I think, so Fair's like, okay, I hate all these people, blah, blah, blah. Tamlin insists that the King of Highburn break the mating bond, which he promises to do. Um, The King carries out this spell, except he is not unable to break that, and instead breaks the bargain that was between Fair and Reese, thinking that it was the mating bond. I think yeah. there's there's yeah. a lot more screaming after that as well, a lot more theatrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and Fair doesn't she use like her her coming back to herself as like a, a a chance to like tear down all of the the wards and stuff. She breaks the wards, yes, exactly, mm-hmm. so that they can like escape. So she's literally like r- she's the distraction. So this is quite confusing. Like, I know I've read it three times now and even had your explanation, but I'm still actually kind of confused about who does what, when, and what does everyone believe and which bonds are broken. There's a lot happening at once. Mm. But in general, how do we feel about this development? At first, I was kind of annoyed that Farah had to kind of, that our, our female lead kind of had to get, let Tamlin get his way in order to like keep everyone safe Mm -hmm. you know but with rereading it obviously it was to her advantage significantly that she managed to kind of like sneak back in as a spy and let him think that he Mm -hmm. got his way Jess did you like it did you not like it yes and no like they were really in a pickle so I know that she did what had to be done However, I'm also not really happy about the whole, like, she has to go back to pretending, oh, this monster or sma- was monstrous man kidnapped me and all of this stuff happened and it wasn't my fault. And I didn't really mm. like that. Yeah. But I get that, you know, she kind of played the only card she had left. Yeah, I'm also of two minds. I was very confused at the beginning about how if the king of Hybern is so powerful, he didn't realize that she had broken the wards around the castle. Mm -hmm. How did nobody else realize that this had happened? I mean, all these powerful beings. And Surely somebody noticed. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't... You said that she did it on the down low, but my understanding was that when she kind of exploded in light, that that was... As an, as um, as a reaction to the fact that she had broken the wards and like yeah, it was like a, it was also a bit of a visual signal, I think. Yeah, so, I think though she she tried to play that off as like her, the mind control being broken instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they already know she has powers. Mm-hmm. The the one thing that I don't like that that it should have been obvious that she had broken the wards was when she was able to winnow away from Tamlin when nobody else could. That's that's the only reason why I'm like, come on, you should have got. But um, yeah, I think the idea was with some of the wards that were protecting Valeris and stuff, they had been there for so long that even Rysand hadn't cast them himself. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the king himself hadn't, you know, they could have just been on the castle from his predecessor. I mean maybe just in the short window that it happened it's not unforgivable that you know there was that small lapse but that they didn't figure out that she would be capable of it when she was able to like break the first one is crazy to me so then do we did they just think that she had by herself broken the mind control that reese had over her and nobody questioned why she suddenly decided to do it yeah i don't know yeah that's a bit dumb i maybe she, it would have been a good idea to be like, oh, seeing Tamlin again helped me. But I don't think she even says that. I think, yeah. I think she brushes over that as fast as possible. And obviously Tamlin's not going to ask her that because he's like, oh, yeah, obviously I'm correct. Yes, yes. You know. 
Lucien's a bit sauce. Yes, he is. Yeah, Lucien is quite quite suspicious about what's going on. I was also confused because it was, or the way that I understood it, it wasn't just that they had that there were wards uh, in the castle so that they couldn't winnow out, but it felt like the king had used some kind of magic to suppress everybody's abilities because yeah. <laughs> nobody could really fight back. Reese and Feyre couldn't communicate with each other mentally that the way, the way that usually could. So did Feyre break all of those curses or like all of that magic as well or just the wards? Yeah, it's a bit confusing. I don't think it's fully explained. I assumed it was everything. I don't think it can be fully. Well, because okay. she can't communicate with them, but they can winnow. It's almost just like she's unlocked the doors. Hmm. Winnowing requires magic, so... Hmm. Sounds a bit... Yeah, that's why it doesn't make sense. It's like a bit of a chicken and an egg, isn't it? Because even after she's done that, she keeps saying she's trying to communicate with Reese, but she can't. So it feels like that block is still there. Maybe it's just winnowing as a different type, because, you know... Not everyone can do it. Maybe it's like supposed to be some nuance of winnowing. Okay. Well, in any case, they manage to escape, and Feyre is left behind with Lucian and Tamlin, and they go back to the spring court... We get a POV chapter from Reese, which is the first time that we see another character's mm-hmm. point of view. Did you like the fact that we have that chapter in there? I did. Yeah, I was pretty uh, ravenous <laughs> for information when I was reading this the first time. Um, so I liked it. I know that, that yeah, that uh, maybe if we didn't have it, then there would have been more of a cliffhanger. But as someone who read this when the next book was about nine months away from being published, the cliffhanger was sufficient. (laughs) (laughs) I was very much um, anxious to see what happened next, even without knowing, like even with knowing that the the, like actual bond between them had somehow survived. I enjoyed that it gave us access to what was happening with the rest of the gang while Fair wasn't with them. Uh, I like that we got the reveal mm. from Race that she was the high lady and we got to see everyone else's reaction to that yeah. mm-hmm. with the context of her being away. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also we got to see that Amarin cared for the first time ever. Yeah, they both had a bit of like a nearly a feral moment. They were like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Where is How my high lady? You? you left her in the <laughs> enemy court. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree it, it works well, but... Yeah, I, a part of like a masochistic part of me kind of wishes that it wasn't there. But obviously, we all the books are out now. Well, not all of them, as in there's going to be two more at least. But yes, I also read it the first time when the book, the next book was already out. So I didn't have to wait. But just, I just think that maybe it would have worked better as a mm. cliffhanger if we just skipped Reese's chapter So we kind of think that, okay, the mating bond is broken or that, you know, we don't know what's happened with the mating bond and we just get the revelation at the end of Feyre is the high lady and now she's at the spring court. I think it would have been really evil, but really, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, book sales would have soared when the third one came up. I I think Mm -hmm. they probably did anyways. It probably would have opened some questions for how she could be still high lady with... it, It kind of... It has the effect, I guess, of tying everything up in a neat little bow at the end of a book. But yeah, it definitely would have added to the cliffhanger Mm. if we were just left with who knows what the circumstances between the two of them. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of A Court of Mist and Fury. Is there anything else from the plot that you want to talk about that we haven't discussed for this last part of the book? I think we got all the key points. For me as well, I think we got them. Okay, so then to wrap things up, can you give me your star ratings for book two? This was probably one of the only five stars that I would easily give. But yeah, this was a five star for me. A solid five for me as well. Solid five from me as well. So safe to say we liked it more than the first one? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that's the general opinion too. You just get so much, you know. It's a, good, it's a really good book. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well... I think we can maybe finish it off there, unless there's anything else. Nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> so, good timing today. I thought we might talk a bit more, but yeah, I, I agree we've talked about everything. The only thing we didn't mention is 
we leave Cassian and Asriel bleeding on the floor because Cassian's Yeah, there's wings... the cliffhanger. Yeah, there's the cliffhanger. Ah, uh, they're getting... His wings have been shredded. They're getting healed. Asriel has been shot by an anna... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I thought of one more thing. We didn't mention Jurian. So Jurian is mm-hmm. back. He has been resurrected and he has a body. And he's working with the King of Highburn. Just a quick question. Can you remind me why he seems to hate the Night Court so much? I don't think we have a clear answer for why. We kind of, I think we're just on the assumption that Jurian's being driven by madness and the desire to get to Miriam, who was his like female love interest who the Night Court are friends with. So I think he sees them as an obstacle in getting to her and to Dracon or Dracon or whoever, you know, she's with now mm-hmm. to defeat him and, I don't know, take his woman back or whatever. That's the assumed behavior that Jurian's kind of pursuing, I think. Okay. I hadn't really thought about that, but now that you mention it, it is kind of random. But I totally agree with what Maria just said. I just wonder if I missed it. Maybe it was explained because it gets really complicated. I mean, there's 500 years of history and everyone seems to have switched sides at some point in the war, etc. So I was just a bit confused why as soon as they arrive, he's hellbent on like fighting against them and he seems to hate them and is really angry when they manage to escape. And I just couldn't figure out why. So cool. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of A Court of Mist and Fury. Next week, we will be starting our journey through A Court of Wings and Ruin, and that will be the first 20 chapters. So thank you, ladies, so much for joining me, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading.